I want to echo that same thing and say, Happy Father's Day. Let's uh, show our appreciation for all these wonderful dads in our lives. Let's give them our praise. Amen. <laughs> praise the Lord. Thank God for these dads that are here this morning. And those of you I know that couldn't be here, God bless you, each of you. Fatherhood is an incredible privilege. It is also a great responsibility. The fact is, the children that the Lord places into our lives, these precious sons and daughters, simply will not be able to be what they could be without the influence of godly leaders, moms, for sure, and for dads. And uh, obeying God is not a natural thing. It is the most natural thing to disobey God. You'd say, well, I don't know about that. My kids are pretty sweet. <laughs> really? Have you ever had to teach them to lie? Uh-uh. You never had to teach them to disobey. That's because it comes very naturally. i tell you one thing. Uh, those little ones, I mean, they'll be nine months old and just barely walking and already have that defiant spirit. And so if that is going to change, it's going to take influence. Influencing our children and youth must not be left to simply chance. Well... I talk to people all the time that say things like, well, they just turned out this way or they turned out that way, as though it's just a, a roll of the dice how our children turn out. And while it's a fact that we can't make something happen, the fact is to raise them with no kind of moorings in their life, no kind of bearings, or to follow some untested theory that you learned in college or university somewhere, or the typical humanistic unlogic that is so illogical but very logical to them. The fact is it takes the Word of God to raise a godly spiritual child. It takes the Word of God. Someone asked me, they said, Pastor, you have a, a good book you could recommend about parenting? I said, I absolutely do. And I handed them a Bible. <laughs> I'm not trying to be trite. The fact is that is the best parenting manual. Someone said, well, do you have another book? Yeah, well, you can get my book on the home. And, uh, and but the only thing is, it's all based on Scripture. So I don't know what to tell you. The Bible really has the best plan at raising families. Some people view the Bible as simply a book of morals. And while it's the right and best morals, it is the most practical manual on anything. In fact, uh, even uh, these... Uh, restrictions and lockdowns and quarantines, you know, interesting. The Bible has a, even a plan for that. And so the Bible has a plan for everything. Now, the Bible gives us not only wonderful principles, as we'll see in a few moments, it also gives us some tremendous examples, one of them being the Apostle Paul, who we'll talk about in a moment, and unfortunately, some uh, negative uh, illustrations as well. Now, uh, as I started this message, uh, I thought, well, a Father's Day, Father's Day message. Uh, I was excited about it, and uh, this particular passage we're in really lent itself to six wonderful points, but the more I got into it, the more I realized there's no possible way to uh, do it all in one service unless we were here till two o'clock, which is all right, amen, but we might have to bring in a little food, and, uh, but uh, no, uh, so I thought, well, I'll stretch it to, to two weeks, so we'll have Father's Day twice, at least the message. But uh, So we'll go through the first half today, the Lord willing. Let's all bow our heads forward to prayer now and 
Remember this, that what you're doing right now, very uh, few things in America are happening, especially on the West Coast like this. So you are part of a very unique group. So let's take advantage of every moment. Now, Father, bless these people. These are the bravest, most amazing, most courageous, God-fearing people I know. Thank you for them. There are dads in this room, Lord, that I just look so up to. and All of us, Lord, we try. But Father, would you just bless us today, all of us, for those who might feel a little bit hurt this morning because of thinking back about their own dads or lack thereof. Lord, I pray you just comfort their hearts. You're the great Father. For those, Lord, who have great feelings, I pray you'll just encourage those. And Father, for all of us who feel maybe like we've blown it or we've messed up, God, would you just... Uh, Comfort our spirit and thank you for your mercy, our God of mercy. Now, Lord, would you just meet with us today in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians, if you would, please, 1 Corinthians. Now, the book of Corinthians is a, a great book, uh, so many issues that it covers. The Holy Spirit uh, gave this book to the Apostle Paul. Sometimes we say the words, Paul wrote this, but uh, actually the more technical way to say it would be that Paul wrote it down. The Holy Spirit gave it to Paul, and uh, he then it was delivered to Corinth. Corinth is a little town not far from Athens, north of Athens, right on a narrow little channel, an isthmus there. And uh, Corinth had its own reputation, but uh, Paul went there, and God gave him a great ministry. And uh, he said, now, when I was with you, I ministered to you as your pastor. He said, uh, and he gave several metaphors how he, to get them, their head wrapped around what a pastor is and how he treated them. First of all, in chapter 3 and verse 5, he said, I uh, have been a servant to you. I have been a minister to you. And that's uh, why a servant is called, and that's why I'm a pastor sometimes is called a minister, or he's in the ministry, which simply means serving. Uh, a pastor serves, and a man of God, a woman of God serves. That's what we're here to do. We are here to serve. Then in chapter 4 and verse number 1, he said, I'm a slave. And every man or woman of God who serves God understands this amazing burden of care. There is an attachment to the things of God that goes beyond anything. I mean, there's just an amazing burden. He also, in the same verse, called himself a steward of the mysteries of God. And when we minister, whoever we are for God, we all get that deep sense of accountability. And I'm just so grateful for the people here at this church. They are so accountable. They might be late to work, but bless God, they are in church. And they will be here. I mean, they, you don't have to call them up. They they have such a sense of accountability. Thank God, these teachers in our school, and I mean, those who minister and sing and play, I mean, they understand they are a steward. They are accountable for what's been given to them, the gifts, the resources, and so they sense that. Then uh, in chapter 3 and verse number 6, uh, he called himself a farmer. He said, I've been there planting. I planted. I'm a farmer. And as a farmer, you have to till up the ground, you have to be wise, you have to have the proper seed, <laughs> amen? That's the Word of God. You have to have the proper seed, you have to make sure it's watered, and I watered it day and night with tears. I've been a farmer. And then in 
chapter 3 and verse number 10, a little bit further down in that chapter, he said, I've been a wise master builder. And I will tell you one thing, if you are going to build something for God, you have got to be wise. You can't just go off willy-nilly, just um, blasting everything you see. You've got to be smart. Jesus said, you know what? If you're going to be in this world, you've got to be wise as a snake. <laughs> but you've got to be harmless like a dove. And uh, I'll tell you one thing. You talk about being wise like a snake. There's never been a time when you've got to keep your wits about you. We are living a crazy world right now. And if we're going to build something for God, we've got to be wise in our building. He said, I've been a builder for God. Taken all together, we see this wonderful picture of what those who serve God are like. And then Paul said, there's one more thing. There's one more way I related to you, and that is that of a strict but loving father. So let's go to chapter 4 and verse 15. That's going to be our text now. And so uh, let's read it together, if you would please, out loud. All right, ready, begin. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. So he said you have 10,000 instructors, teachers. But really the word, they're the Greek word, and those of you who may have heard this word before, it is the word pedagogos. Pedagogos is a word which means a schoolmaster. And that's why you may remember in the book of Galatians, God called the law a pedagogos. It is a one that leads you, it, one that draws you. It's not the parent. It is a hired nanny, basically. Uh, uh, what's that other French word? An au pair. It's somebody who uh, helps the children all day. I mean, gets them ready, leads them, even helps them, reinforces what the parents say. They uh, morally instruct uh, them. Uh, they have a, a wonderful part in the life of a child, but not a dad, but not a mom. And that's what Paul was saying. He's saying, you know what? There's lots of people out there who will, who will be your schoolmaster, will be your pedagogos, will, will draw you closer to God. And for that, we are so grateful. He wasn't throwing uh, any shade on them. He was just saying, hey, that's a good thing. Nothing bad about that. It's great. But my relationship with you is different. I'm your dad. And you need to listen to me. Many times over the years, I've met people, and you can usually tell when a Christian doesn't have a pastor, because uh, they're kind of weird. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. They just, they go off on tangents, and, because they don't have a dad that sets them straight and says, um, you're getting a little bit strange here. And uh, so he said, um, I need to let you know that these instructors are good, and we would say something like, there's lots of good books out there, there's lots of good radio bro broadcasts, I'm sure there's lots of good, or there's a few good TV programs, you know, religious programs, I'm, there's, all, there's good, there's lots of good out there, I'm certainly not wanting to be saying there's not good, but it's not your pastor, not your spiritual dad. And his point is that a dad has skin in the game. It's different. It's just different. You have an attachment. You have a sense of huge responsibility. And he said, in my uh, relating to you, here is how I see myself. As a spiritual parent, 
You know, we don't uh, go by all the Catholic Church goes by, but we certainly have a lot of common ground, you know. But, you know, maybe they have it right when they call the pastor of their church a father. There's a sense that a fatherhood in a, in a leader. And so what Paul is saying here is, is uh, I'm going to tell you how I function as a pastor. In it, maybe it's not the main point, but we learn six amazing uh, factors, marks really, of being a spiritual dad. And that's what we want to be. I mean, there's fun dads out there, <laughs> and there's uh, uh, smart dads out there, and there's educated dads out there, but if you want to be a spiritual dad, you got to go to the Bible. And the Word of God will give us six wonderful principles to live by. Let's go over those. Number one, he loves, a spiritual dad loves passionately. Look at verse 14. Now, I write not these things to shame you. Amen? I just don't believe we ought to shame people for what they wear or what they don't wear or, you know, we shouldn't shame each other. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, my beloved sons. Now, Paul loved the Corinthian people. He loved them. I mean, they were nutty people. They really were. I mean, the Corinthians were, they were nutty people. And uh, yet he loved them. He, he just cared for them. And um, even though they had such unique uh, backgrounds, and in some cases they had some really crazy issues that really bothered them. And I'm sure sometimes he walked away from some of these conversations just shaking his head and said, what in the world? These people are crazy. But he said, I loved them. The work there where he said, my beloved sons, it's actually a form of the word agape. And you may have heard of that word before. It is a, a word which means God's love, not a romantic love. It's wonderful. Not a friendship love, which is wonderful, but a God-like love. He said, you're my beloved. Like the old fellow said, why, why does God keep saying the word beloved? That's because you be loved. That's why. And, uh, but that's what he was saying here. He was saying, you are beloved. God put in my heart a love for you that transcends anything horizontal. Because I'd be honest with you, I'm not from Corinth. I'm not even Greek. I'm basically, he was from an area of Turkey. He, he said, I'm not Greek. I don't get you people. And here in Corinth, you're stranger than anything I've ever seen. But for some reason, God has placed an agape love in my heart for you. I just have an, an agape love for you. God did that. He validated that over and over again. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. Oh, every time you see that word, oh, you know they're getting passionate. Oh, ye Corinthians, my, our mouth is open unto you. You've heard me talk. Big mouth pastor here. But he said, it's not just an empty mouth. Our heart is enlarged. <laughs> my heart is so big. It just, I feel like my heart's going to pop sometimes when I'm around you, when I think about you. And uh, there are times when anybody who's a spiritual leader feels that. I know during the week when I start praying for somebody, it seems like especially at night, I get up in the middle of the night for a few minutes and somebody will be in my heart and I'll start praying for them. Crazy thing. I mean, in the middle of the night, I'll just be sitting there worried about somebody. And you get that sense of a, a heart. Just 
Your heart just like hurts. Oh, God, tell them, oh, God, encourage them. Oh, God, be there for them. And you just, my heart and dear, dear brother this week, feeling so bad. He's having uh, health problems and thinking maybe he's going to die. And I just, you know, I, my heart hurts for him. And that's what Paul was saying. He said, my heart, it feels like it's going to pop. It's so big. It's enlarged. I have an enlarged heart. And if I die, it's because my heart just popped out of my chest because of my great love for you. Every spiritual dad knows that feeling. You love your kids. You moms, you love your kids. Sometimes you feel like your heart's going to pop when they break your heart or when they make you proud. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 10, he said, the truth of Christ is in me. No man shall stop me of this boasting and the reasons of occasion. He said, I go all over Greece telling everybody about how great Corinth is. And he said, am I bragging? Am I boasting? He said, well, maybe, but it's in the Lord. Verse 11, wherefore, because I love you. One reason I do everything I do is because I love you. Why do I go off to work? Because I love you. Why do I talk to you? Because I love you. Why do I encourage you? Because I love you. Why do I warn you? Because I love you. I love you. And then, of course, that great statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, one of my favorites. Therefore, very gladly, <laughs> gladly, I will spend, but even more, I will not only spend, I will go broke for you. Though the more abundant, though the strangest thing, the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. And here we see the true nature of spiritual love. A father's love is so deep, so uh, amazing that it's, I don't need anything in return. And the craziest thing about love is that the deeper you love, it's often unrequited. Sometimes when somebody blows off an email or a text and blows you up and you're just like, what in the world? You just wonder, or they, you hear something, you're like, what in the, get on most social media, you think, what in the world? You think you love them so deeply, and then you just wonder what is going on. Or you pour out, and you pour out, and that was a nice, that was nice. Or here Paul was saying, I don't ask anything in return, but the strangest thing is, the more I give, the less I get back. And, but you know what, that, every father knows that, every mother knows that sense, that there's a sense in that your children really they don't have the capacity to give it back. They don't understand until they're older and you're already dead and gone. And finally they realize, oh my goodness, my dad knew everything. He was the smartest man that ever lived. But early on, you're like, oh, you know. And then as you get older, you begin to realize, wow, it's often unrequited. And that's the sense that we should understand as a deep lover a father loves his sons. He loves his daughters. So much so, it says here, that it's, a, it's just a, the deepest kind of love. Now, I love the moon. I uh, often will, we will stop along the way if it's a big giant harvest moon especially or something else is happening. I love the moon. It is an interesting celestial body to me. I actually love the moon far more than I do the stars. Some people love the stars. I like the moon. The moon is very romantic. You know, you lover boys out there, you, uh, 
said things like, uh, to your beloved, you are my sun, and you are my moon, and you are all my stars. Others said, I need you like the seas need the moon. I love you. And then, of course, the famous one, I love you all the way to the moon and back. Everybody loves the moon. You may have uh, heard of the old country boy who was desperately trying to be romantic. And so he said, your teeth are like the moon. They come out at night. Your hair is like silk, corn silk. Your skin is milk, curdled and stinky. Your eyes are like pools, cesspools. Your ears are like flowers, cauliflower. Your nose is like a hill, an anthill forever crawling with black and red things. Ah, the moon is a beautiful thing. It is. I love the moon. Now, I said all that to get your attention. (laughs) But I also said that because did you know that there is a dark side to the moon that no one's ever seen? That's like love. Love has a dark side. And that's what Paul's saying here. He said, if you love your children, be prepared because there's a dark side to that. Because you love so deeply, you love so intently, so they can't, your children cannot even understand the depth of that love. And yet, that's what a father does. And that's what Paul said. He said, my love is agape love. It's God-like love. And that's exactly what God's love is like to you and I. It is so deep. It is so great that he gave everything to us, really expecting nothing but receiving it. Receive my love. Be saved and let me take you to heaven. That was the great word of our heavenly father. A father who loves, understands and seeks to understand his children, even when it seems like you can. A godly spiritual father helps his child try to reach godly goals in their life. A spiritual father helps their children dispel fears. Jesus' statement perhaps sums it maybe the best. In John 15 and verse 13, greater love hath no man than this. A man would lay down his life for his friends. And in that sense, our children are our friends. And a man, you know, if a woman was to lay down her life, I think we would say that's understandable. My wife and I were driving. We saw a lady's bumper sticker. It said something like, Mama Grizzly, (laughs) bear. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to mess with that woman. I stayed back. I had my uh, social distance from that car, I'll tell you. Mama Grizzly. And we understand that. But the fact is, when a man lays down his life. There's no greater love for that. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, the reason I'm going to the cross is I'm laying down what I would want. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to suffer the rejection of a holy father, but I love people. I love you. What a tragic thing that people would live a whole life and never honor Jesus and never give to Jesus and never give to him the love that he gave to us. There's no greater love than when he gave his life, not for people who loved him, but people who were sinful and hated him and ran from him. That's the greatest love. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life. He laid down his life for others. And that's what a father does. I have personally watched dozens and dozens, perhaps hundreds of fathers in this ministry over the years, over these 40 years, watch fathers 
lay down their life for their children. The buying of toys so they can provide for their children's future. The putting aside things that they would like to do so that they could train their children. The putting away of uh, sleep so that they could get up a little early and maybe have a little Bible time. The attending church when they might want to go out and do this or that, but attending church with their family, they lay down what they might want to do so that they could do that for their children. And I tell you what, I thank God for each of you men. And for those of you who couldn't be here with us this morning, thank God for good men who lay down their life. Thank God. And that is exactly the the love that they have. One day a father and his daughter were out for a leisurely drive in the country. It was a beautiful, warm spring day, and the windows were rolled down in the car. They were enjoying the fresh air and the sunshine, when suddenly the daughter began screaming. A bee had just flown inside the car. Now, a bee is a scary thing to anybody, but to this particular daughter, she had a serious allergic reaction to bees, and she was flailing her arms everywhere and screaming at the top of her lungs. Her father slowly pulled over. He held his daughter's arms down, and then he took his hand, and he caught that bee, and that bee stung him, and he threw the bee out the window, dead. The girl, still in tears, unable to calm down, heaving and weeping and trying to regain her composure. The kind father reached over and he held her and he whispered it in her ears. He said, it's okay. That bee won't hurt you now. I took the sting for you. And folks, 2,000 years ago, a loving Savior took the sting of death For you and I, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life. What a great example of a spiritual father. The six marks of a spiritual father. Number one, he loves passionately. It is a godly thing to love your children. Number two, he admonishes patiently. Verse number 14, I write not these things to shame you. Shouldn't do that. But as my agape sons, as that godlike love, he placed a love in my heart for you that just, uh, it's just amazing. My beloved sons, I warn you. I warn you. Now today there's this overwhelming push to be your children's friend, to be your child's buddy. And that's, a, of course, a, a great thing. It's a wonderful thing when you have that friendship and that fellowship. It is great. But too many, I'm afraid, abdicate. They give up their responsibility as the captain of the ship to warn. Can you imagine what would happen? You talk about a dereliction of duty for a captain of the ship, the dad, to to be sailing through a harbor and know there are mines in that harbor and to not even take the time to warn those that are on deck. Not even say a word. All kinds of mines. Mines that will trip up these children. 
things that will blow them up and never say a word. Just go along like, well, they'll figure it out. Folks, that is a dereliction of duty. I warn them. We have a responsibility to warn them. I want to be their friend. Well, who doesn't want to be their friend? But somebody needs to stand up and be a dad. Be a dad. They'll never have another dad. They'll have friends. They'll have buddies. But they won't have a dad. You're a dad. You're the captain of the ship. Warn them. There's a mine out there. Watch out, son. I've been through this harbor before. It blew me up. It blew me up. Son, I warn you. I warn you. First Samuel chapter 2 tells the incredible, just mind-numbing story of a pastor. Unfortunately, he's a pastor, but a prophet, a man of God. Eli tells the story about an indulgent father who refused to warn his sons. It rolls over into chapter 3, and then in chapter 3, verse 13, a verse that I can't even... In fact, when you read the passage, you're just like, how in the world? But look at verse 13. He, it sums it up. And I have told him that I will judge his house. For the iniquity that he knows, he knew. It, I had no idea... <laughs> You had an idea. You just didn't want to have an idea. He knows. He knew that something wasn't right. Something was stinking in Denmark, and he didn't find out what was stinking. He knows because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. Didn't say a word. Well, I'm just their friend. <laughs> a real friend would warn them. A real friend would tell him. That's what Eli should have done. You know what his sons were doing? His sons were having affairs with the women in the church. Now, I don't mean just church women. I mean in the church, in the temple. At the door of the temple. Mind-boggling. Here these were, here the, his sons were out there just sleeping in one of the side rooms with the women that were coming in. Unbelievable. But Eli was just clueless. I'm just a dad. I'm just a dad. I don't know nothing. There he was, clueless Eli. Now, and uh, it says he restrained them not. Now, maybe he was afraid they wouldn't love him anymore if he'd said something. Maybe he excused them because they had eaten too many Twinkies and they had too much sugar. That's why they're misbehaving. Oh, really? Or maybe he said, you know, they've really had a rough life. They've been mistreated. And in the modern psychology, you let them pound on that pillow. You let them tear up their toys. You let them mark on the walls because they're expressing themselves. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, when they grow up, they riot, they loot, they burn buildings, and they express themselves with their anger. That's the same attitude. It never was stopped when they were one or they're two. 
And then we just excuse it. Oh, it's okay. They don't feel good. The Apostle Paul said, not me. I warn you. I'm willing to let you be upset with me because I care about you. Now, other pedagogos, hey, man, no skin off me. <laughs> I'm not saying a word. But he said, I'm willing to wade into places where I don't want to have to, but I have to because we need it. We sing the song, tune my heart to sing thy praise. You know what that means? Get a tuning fork and tune the piano to the fork. But the common idea today is let the piano be what it wants. If it doesn't match the tuning fork, throw away the tuning fork and let the piano be what it wants. And that's what we've done. We've thrown away the tuning fork. We've thrown away the Word of God. Let's just... Uh, they don't obey, so let's just change the rules. <laughs> what kind of a concept is that? Bring them up to the standard. You don't change the standard down to them. Occasionally, we'll have a parent will whine about the youth director. That youth director told my little snowflake to turn off his iPhone in Sunday school, and they inhibited him, really. Maybe they just did what you wouldn't do and warned them, you don't sit there at the kitchen table and play with your iPhone. You sit there and have dinner with your parents and the rest of your brothers and sisters, and you are polite and not rude. You have to be a spiritual father. You have to warn them. Paul said in Colossians 1 verse 28, whom we preach, warning every man. I've just warned people teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. It's no, it's not a, there's no secret why the government doesn't want churches meeting. There's no secret to that. They don't want people warning about what is happening in the world and warning about a coming antichrist and warning about all the sin coming. Folks, I have had this sense of God just speaking to me sometimes so loud lately, I just feel like he's screaming. He is saying, and I believe what's that even here this morning and what we see happening, we are ramping up and never before, and we see churches that are trying to do that, and yet never has there been such a pushback. But here's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, my goal is to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. I warn them, not shouting angry words like, you stupid kid. That's not warning. Not shouting, not shaming. Can't you ever do anything right? Not shaming. Warning. Not shocking over generalizing. Why do you always screw up? Not shouting, not shaming, not shocking. Warning. Paul, you say, well, what did he, how did he warn people? Look what it says very clearly. I warn every man because I want them to be like Christ Jesus. I want to bring them to the point of being like Christ Jesus. And that's what he did. He spoke the word of God and he spoke with the example of Christ. And when we speak the word of God, we speak with power, like a fire, like a hammer, the prophet said in Jeremiah 23 and verse 29, is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? My kids don't listen to me. That's because you're not using the word. 
The word hits like a hammer. Your word's like a little boop, 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 like a little peck. My word is like a little match. God's word's like a blowtorch. They can't run from the word of God. They can't run from the word of God. It's like a hammer. That's why every time we have a conversation, especially in the sense of disciplining, let's bring the conversation back to the Word of God. I think the best way and the greatest way, and I want to share with you here this morning, is to bring them back to the Ten Commandments. Now, there are many verses in the Scripture that would apply to maybe the misbehaving or the situation, but I don't think there's any better way to do it. At least a good starting point is to go by the Ten Commandments. Take the Ten Commandments. I think every home, every class ought to have the Ten Commandments visible there in their home because those things roll in the mind and they provide this uh, great framework. If I was to uh, re-say the Ten Commandments in a simple terms, here's how I would give them and you can write these down. Number one, put God first. Now, my son, did you put God first when you chose to sleep instead of reading your Bible? You didn't put God first. Put Him first in your life. God must be more important than anyone or anything else. Make no idols. When a tangible thing gets in the way of your relationship with God, that's an idol. It can be a thing. It can be a career. It can be a person. Daughter, are you making that young man an idol in your life? Respect God's name. It's special. You must never cursed or use words that are like cursed words. It is shameful. Never use uh, God's name as an explicative. You know, it's a funny thing to me. I've lived all these years. I've heard God cussed and Jesus cussed, but I've never one time heard anybody cuss Muhammad. Not one time ever had anybody use Muhammad. It's a shameful thing that we respect Muhammad more than we do the God of the universe, the Jesus Christ. Don't say a bad word and ever use God's name in vain. Number four, respect the Lord's day by going to church. Should be no question about Sunday. Going to church. Should we go this morning? Really? You're going to ask that question. Should we go? I thought the Bible said, remember the Sabbath day. Respect the Lord's day. Laying on our bed on Sunday when we could be in church. How disrespectful to God. Respect your parents. Don't you say mean things to your mom. Don't you say them. Don't be a smart aleck to your dad. That's rude. That's wrong. Get some manners. Number six, don't kill people. Life is precious. We're made in the image of God. And when you have an intense hatred of that person, that's really the same as murder, son. That's something we don't do. Don't not be immoral. Sex is a wonderful gift from God. It's a beautiful wedding gift to a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. It's the, God's wedding present to them in a sense, but it's not anything to mess with. That's a road that will lead to some real heartache. Number eight, do not steal. God's a giver. Be a giver, not a taker. Don't steal. You can steal someone's reputation by criticizing evil words. You can steal the tithe. Did you not tithe this week? You just stole from God. That's breaking the Ten Commandments. Do not lie. Any intent to deceive for personal gain is a lie. Boy, that's a big one in our family, isn't it? We got to talk to our kids. Do not lie. And number 10, do not be jealous. Don't be jealous. If somebody else gets blessed, don't be jealous of that. Just 
Praise God for it. And I think really, you know, that's why God took all the laws and summarized them to these 10, because this Decalogue, the first four, our relationship to God, the second half or six is our relationship with mankind. Paul said, I warn them. I warn people as a good father. You'd say, Pastor, what did you do growing up with your children? How did you discipline them? Well, I'll tell you a, a, a quick rundown, and I certainly don't want to act like uh, we uh, did it all right, but I will say here's how we did it. Number one, I would say, I'd just tell them, go to your room. You know, the old timers used to say, go to the woodshed. <laughs> They're pretty smart back then. That woodshed, you know, was a place that uh, they feared, going down to the woodshed. So I would say, uh, go to your room, and I would take some time. Now that time allowed them a chance to uh, kind of reflect on their deeds. It also allowed me a time to just calm down, let me a time to pray. Oh, God. Now I pray before I go speak to them that you'd give me wisdom, give me grace, because I'm about ready to kill them, Lord. And, uh, but uh, I, I pray, God, you'd help me. Then when I would sit down with them, the first thing I would say is, all right, uh, I'd like to ask you, uh, why are you in here? Why did I send you in here? Get them to identify the sin, because I was bad. No, now let's be specific. Uh, what did you do? Well, because I said bad things about my brother, about my sister. No, let's, uh, and bring it down to the Ten Commandments. Uh, you stole their reputation. You lied, and the Bible says do not. So try to get it down until the point we actually identify the core sin. That's vital, because then you can hit them with the word, and it's not just what I say, it's what they say. And then you explain how that violates the word of God, and then you lovingly administer whatever discipline you feel like is necessary. And there's many things, including corporal punishment. After you've done that, you pray with them, you hug them. I know some folks that are just, you know, don't even talk to me for a day or a week. No, not at all. When God disciplines you and I, He does so with a tear in His eye. It is no pleasure to Him to do that to us. And many a time, a parent will weep as they spank their child and as they're Weeping, you're weeping because your heart is broken. I, but if I don't be the parent, who will? You'd say, well, uh, is that the way it always works? Well, I wish it was. I wish discipline always worked that way. You may have heard about the little boy who was sent to bed by his father, and five minutes later he said, Dad, what? I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink of water? No, you already had your chance. Lights out. Five minutes later, Dad, <clears throat> what? I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink of water? I told you no. And if you ask again, I'm going to come in there and spank you. Sure enough, five minutes later, Dad, what? When you come in to spank me, would you bring me some water, please? <laughs> I think we've all been there, right? They're not getting this. He loves passionately. He admonishes patiently. And number three, he initiates pointedly. Now, I'm stretching here a little bit to keep my alliteration going, but I think you'll understand as I'm going along. Number, Look what it says in verse 15. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you don't have many fathers. I'm your father. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Begetting means 
making a start, initiating. It means giving them an orientation. People say, well, you shouldn't have prejudice. Boy, that is a lie. We should totally have prejudice. A prejudice for righteousness. I want to view everything from a concept of the Bible never, of course, about anybody's uh, people group or physical characteristic, obviously, but no, we want to make sure that we set them with a certain bias in life, that if it's God, I'm on it. If it's the Bible, I'm for it. A bias, a beginning. We give them uh, an orientation. This is a Jesus-loving home. That's, I mean, that's what we do. We, in this home, we love Jesus. I mean, you say, you say our name, you, one thing you know you want it to be known that you love the Lord. You're a God home. You initiate, you give them a point. It's vital that we give them a frame of reference. I think many children grow up really without a frame of reference. They're, they have questions about their dad's motives or their dad's uh, vision or their mom's concepts. They just grow up confused. But you know when a dad is all in, leaning in all the way, man, they, you know, there's no question. Now, they, it's their choice whether they get what side of the standard they get on, but at least you've given them a standard. If you don't give them a standard or if you keep moving the goalposts, it's very insecure. They ought to know what you do. If I call my dad at 6 o'clock on Tuesday morning, he'll be in prayer. I mean, that's just what I know. I mean, I know that. That's just, you know, what I know about my dad. On Sunday morning, we can drop in. They'll not be home. I mean, they'll be in church. That's it. We know. That's, (laughs) you give them an orientation. I've had people so many times over the years say, I came back and it was like I never left. It's like the same thing. Little different people, different place, little bigger, whatever, but it's the same thing. Why? Because we just get a start and say, you know what? We're just going to keep giving them the same thing. And that's what Paul said. He said, it is me giving you Christ Jesus. And I want you to recognize two things about this. He recognized, first of all, Christ's sufficiency in giving them an orientation in life. Notice what it says in that verse, for in Christ Jesus, first and foremost, it is the power of God. There's no possible way that I can do this. It is Jesus in you. Romans 15 verse 17 says, whereof I may glory in Jesus Christ. Here's Paul speaking to the Jewish Christians all around the world, the Romans, the Roman world. Whereof I may glory in Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed to say that I'm Proud, spiritually proud of what God has done. Verse 18, but I will dare not speak of any of those things which Christ hath not been wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. He said, <laughs> he said, I'm going to tell you one thing. It was God who changed those Gentiles. We're talking about people who were absolute pagans. I mean, if I was to, I don't want to get into any kind of politics well, I will, but, um, um, but I don't want to say a name right this moment. If you think of somebody who's the most out there, left-wing, crazy, nutcase, liberal, wacko job, just absolutely, there is no possible way they would ever get saved. Imagine that person 
getting born again. Saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Living a Bible-oriented, I mean, that's what Paul was saying. He was saying, I'm telling you one thing, when you find some of these pagan Gentiles that have come to Jesus Christ and are obedient to the word, that's Christ Jesus. Give all the glory to Christ Jesus. And I will tell you, I think every parent knows that, that I am just an instrument in the hand of God. If we, we see this beautiful building, and I mean, you just can't even believe it. You can see some of the things going, oh, it's, in a few months, we're going to be in that place. It's going to be blowing and going, and I mean, it's going to be the most amazing. I'm so excited. I can't wait. But when we go in there, we're not going to run over and grab a hammer and say, oh, you hammer, you're such a beautiful hammer. Oh, I love the hammer. And walk right by the people who are doing all the work. They're like, um, that hammer is nothing until it was in my hand. That screw gun was nothing until it was in my hand. We did something with it. That's what Paul said, I'm like a hammer. I'm like an old dumb hammer. God is the one that has his hand around me. And because of me, yes, things have been done, but it's God who is holding me the whole time. And that's what every spiritual parent says. Look, I... I'm just a hammer. I'm a dumb old hammer. But thank God I was in the hand of the Father, and He kept using me to make a difference in the lives of people. It is the sufficiency of Christ, and it is the agency of the Lord, of the human's agency as well. Look at verse 19 of that, uh, excuse me, Romans chapter 15. Though through mighty signs and wonders, the power of the Spirit of God, again, the sufficiency of Christ, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Lystrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Let's just be honest. Do you think Greece would have come to Christ if it had not been for Paul? No. Paul was the human instrument, human agency, and the sufficiency of Christ. If Paul hadn't volunteered, if he hadn't done his part, he said, oh, well, my kids will just turn out the way they turn out because God will do it. That's not the way it works. We are the instruments of God. We are to be faithful. My lady said, will you pray for my son? Nope. Why? Well, sister, until you are faithful to God, I mean, I love you, but I see you about three times a year, and I love you, and I, but until you are being the instrument of God for faithfulness, I mean, honestly, I'm just wasting time praying. I don't mean to be unkind, but the fact is, we are human instruments. We work together with God. That's why Paul said in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell together with them according to knowledge, giving honor to your wife. Giving honor to your wife. Never treating her wrong or bad and a wife should honor her husband. Why? Because you are the heirs together in the grace of life. Do we realize what that means? God said, God uses you to create a living, eternal soul. A man and a wife can't have a baby without God stepping in and making conception. And Likewise, God won't have a human unless he uses a male and a female. It's always been that way. 
Not two males, not two females. God uses a male and a female. They come together with their seed. We are heirs together with God. And really, the same thing is true with creating the seed of Christ in our children. It is us with God, God with us. It is a joint venture. God, I give myself to you. I need you. I need your strength. I need your help. What is your direction? Just give them a future. Establish a starting point. Give them a prejudice, a bias for God. Establish a direction. Put a Put a line in the sand and say, we're a Jesus home. We're a God family. That's where we're going. On Sundays, we'll be at church. We'll be there. And I know some of you want to be here. And God bless you. And you're coming soon. But the fact is, that's what we do. That's what Joshua did in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. He said, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me, from my house, and I love that part, my house we're going to serve the Lord. <laughs> said, how, how can you say that? Because he was the captain. You're going to live under my roof. You're going to serve the Lord. You make them read your Bible? Yeah, I do. I make them. If, well, if they won't read it out loud, then just sit there in front of me and, you know, just read it out loud quietly. You're going to read your Bible. You're going to go to church. <laughs> you say, well, what does that do? I, I'm not sure all that it does, but I know one thing. It gives them an orientation. It creates in them a sense of this is what they need to do. We are going to serve the Lord. There is such a dearth of fathers in America, let alone spiritual fathers. It is, studies have shown that a child or a home without a father much more likely to drop out of school, emotional, behavior problems, commit suicide. In fact, they have said that men who grew up with dads represent 70% of the prison population. 70%. Because nobody's there to be a spiritual dad, to love them, strict but loving, loving but strict, warning but giving him a direction. That's all we can do. We just have to simply say, I'm your instrument, Lord. I'm your instrument. Now, nobody here, I don't know of anybody here that would say, I've done it all right. I've been a good father. I think we all have to say, honestly, I've failed so often. And for those of you that are starting, or maybe you're not a father, or you're certainly here as a mother, all of these things, of course, apply to all of us. Because we want to be spiritual leaders. We want to help others. We want to pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, if you would, please. Our worship team is going to come, and we're going to sing.